millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is part two of the Neon podcast on American Gods, the TV series on Amazon. Hope you listened to the first part. It helps if you have, but don't worry. Part two is here right now. Like Game of Thrones, this is 18 rated for very good reason. It has very adult content. It is dripping in blood at times. And to give you an idea keeping things nice is Shadow Moon's been in prison and it turns out his wife has been cheating on him. Laura. Yes, Audrey. What's the last thing you remember before you died? Um. Oh. She is killed. However, uh, and, and this sounds like a joke, but really it isn't. There is a man playing a leprechaun in this movie. Now, if you'd like, he's not Lucky Charms, although there are a couple of smart Alec comments about that in the, in the show, obviously showing his disgruntlement about how he's being portrayed. But leprechauns were these magical spirits in ancient Irish folklore that, you know, were kind of malevolent and kind of greedy, hence the pots of gold and things like that. So they're taking the real folklore and creating this powerful entity rather than just somebody going, ah, fiddly dee, and where's my tamashanter, and something like that. Not at all. Not at all. Your heart's not beating for this life anymore, dead wife. This life is done. Only felt my heart beat one time since I died. When I kissed Shadow. That doesn't obligate him to feel shit. You're so worried about being alive, but to him, you're already dead. Wait. But he has a lucky gold coin, a powerfully magical gold coin, and that gold coin ends up inside the dead wife of Shadow Moon, which reanimates her. So she comes back again, but she's still very much dead. There's a beautiful scene early on where she wants to sort of show her, her sort of, you know, she wants to get the forgiveness of Shadow Moon, but she knows she's basically a walking corpse. And so she has a bath to warm her body up so that when she hugs him, he will be, you know, he'll feel a warm body rather than the cold, clammy, dead body. It's kind of nice. It's also kind of disgusting. But anyway, and what show you and, and the, the leprechaun wants his powerfully magical totem or you know, coin back again. And so he, he hates the wife and therefore always refers to her as dead wife. So, you know, there, there are these wonderful little character traits and power plays. And it is worth going back to Odin, as it were, the, the, the 
character who's talking you through this story as a whole. Odin was a trickster god, not as much as Loki, obviously, um, but you know, he is he is not like uh, you know God on high in the sense of not only is he supremely powerful, but he's very flawed. You know, he has an unquenchable thirst for knowledge and power, and he's made terrible mistakes as well in the folklore, much like Zeus did as well. You know, Zeus was not just a pro Zeus was powerful, but not necessarily just solely for good. You know, on one occasion, famously. Changing into a swan and seducing a woman, because women find swans fanciable. That makes no sense whatsoever. But anyway. What's a god? Can we even know they exist? People believe things, which means they're real. That means we know they exist. So what came first, gods or the people who believed in them? All right, so... Where was all this before I met you? On the periphery, just outside. There's always a window. People are frightened to look through it. Safer in the prison cell. We're not safe now. No, we're not. Who are you? If I told you, you wouldn't believe me. So we've got a TV show that is kind of teaching you through sneakiness if you like some of this half forgotten folklores like uh, you know going back to to um going back to ancient ireland for a moment uh they they keep mentioning in tv series how christianity has hijacked certain celebrations and look it is interesting that when you look at the solstices, which were incredibly important in most religions, how many of those are connected with Christian religious festivals. So the winter solstice is round about December 25th. And uh, the ancient pagan time for term for this time of year was Yule. This is where we still use the term Yuletide, okay? But now it's all become Christianized. So when Christians say we need to remember the, the origins of what Christmas really means, Christ's Mass, well, yeah, but you might also want to remember that you slapped on your own interpretation on a pre-existing group of religious celebrations anyway. If you can't beat them, join them. Let's just bond these two things together. Then we've got the, we got the um, spring solstice. And that is basically around about Easter time. Now, Easter moves around because it's a lunar uh, lunar event, which is interesting because um, the sort of lunar calendar where things move around all the time, if you're Muslim, you're used to that because that's when you work out things like Ramadan um, and Eid. And if you're Jewish as well, um, uh, you know, the, 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 there aren't always fixed dates. A lot of these things, a lot of Jewish festivals are also linked to the lunar calendar. So dates move around a little bit. But, we, you know, we tend to find that quite annoying with Easter. It's like, look, when do I book my holiday? I've got to look in the diary. At least we all know December 25th is Christmas. OK, so, but Christmas, uh, so Easter, I should say, you know, we obviously associate with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
But, as it's pointed out in both uh, American Gods, but you know, it doesn't take a lot of research to work it out, this was the time of the lambing season, the return of life on, on, uh, on Earth, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, we start getting the blossoms coming out and lambing season, so on and so forth. So, yes, you, you realise that there were a lot of religious pagan festivals around this rebirthing of the, of the world then. And is it coincidence that not only do we talk about a rebirthing of Mother Earth, in pagan era and we get the rebirthing or resurrection of Jesus? That's conjecture. Nobody can know for certain. But then, just sticking with Ireland for a moment, we get to the autumnal solstice. So round about October 31st, which is Halloween. Now, Halloween is when the evil spirits are meant to be ra- roaming around. Then you get All Saints Day, which is the, the, the day after, which is when the day of all the saints, and it's a very holy day. But interestingly, in ancient Ireland, that, that October 31st, uh, amongst the, the Celtic cultures of the island, was called Samhain. Now, somebody might say, you're mispronouncing that, Jim. Sorry, don't know. I, I'm not an expert on, on ancient Gaelic. Um, and it could also be that what we've got known now, because they were a pre-literate society, that also might have been slightly mangled. But I'm just going to call it Samhain. But what's interesting is it does seem to have had actual human sacrifice involved in it. Um, you know, to sort of like uh, to consecrate the the ceremonies of that era, of that time in the year. It seems that there was actual human sacrifice going on there as well. Maybe you should try that on trick-or-treating, eh? <laughs> But I wanted to go back to, as I said, I said mentioned briefly, they got Chernobog. Now, what's interesting is there is Bilabog and Chernobog. Bilabog was the god of light or light god. Chernobog was the dark god. And Chernobog, uh, you know, as soon as we get into folklores, particularly ones that were written down by multiple people in multiple eras, there's huge amounts of variation. To be honest, there's even variation in the four Gospels in the New Testament because they were written down at different times and the writers were worried about different aspects of Jesus. So, so yes, uh, you know, um, things like the Nativity aren't even mentioned in some of the Gospels. And, and what you understand as the Nativity is actually cobbled together from two of the different Gospels. The thing about Chernobog is there's lots of variation, but definitely what everybody agrees on is he's a baddie. Quite often, Chernobog would be mentioned when you were cursing somebody, when you wish to put dark magic on someone else. He comes from Slavic culture, so Central Europe. And uh, he seems to be associated quite often, clearly with the night, but also with dark forest, which a large chunk of Europe was under one and a half thousand years ago. And what's interesting is in the TV show is he's clearly Slavic and he is quite often throwing down curses and he has a bloody hammer which he can fell uh, an animal. He can sort of like um, execute an animal, slaughter an animal with just one blow from his hammer and he offers to do the same thing to Shadow Moon and put him out of his misery, which is, uh, which is a wonderfully dark moment in the show. So Chernobog is a part of culture that Hey, unless you're from somewhere like Ukraine, Russia, Belarusia, Poland, it might, you're sitting there going, never even heard of that one. And therefore, it's a little odd to then have Kali in there as well, because there's close to a million practicing, sorry, million, I mean, billion practicing Hindus in the world today. So to sort of consider Kali as defunct, 
that that's slightly cheeky because there are a lot more people who believe in Kali than believe in Odin, for example. But that's not to say that there aren't misinterpretations. If I say Kali, you might well be thinking about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is a grossly disrespectful movie to Indian culture. There's the whole thing about the disgusting dinner where everyone's eating monkey brains and things like that. And apparently Spielberg was riffing on some of the 30 shows, uh, movies that were sort of like showing to like disgusting exotic stuff. And I guess in the 1980s, cultural sensitivity before social media wasn't quite the same paramount. But that bit hasn't aged very well because that's simply not how Indians eat food. Um, and there's not a single curry on the uh, in front of them in that in that dining area. Kali is an interesting example because like an awful lot of gods of destruction or gods of death or gods of war, they're also linked with kind of rebirth and rebuilding. This this cyclical idea of like Valhalla turning into a new era, like, you know, uh, the Judgment Day turning into paradise. You, you know, there's the, the, there's the amount of cycles in uh, human religions, in allegedly these things that have yet to pass or things that are happening in parallel dimensions or in whatever you want to call is heaven or hell, it does point out that clearly people are influenced by the changing seasons of the year. Uh, again, just very briefly, I know I mentioned this in the Thor one. To the Vikings, their idea of hell was an eternal freezing wasteland because, let's face it, if you live in central Norway, you don't like the cold. Whereas, there's an awful lot of countries that see hell, particularly Christian hell, as being incredibly hot. And I would argue, you know, being incredibly hot or incredibly cold, your body isn't designed for either of those things. Either is incredibly uncomfortable for you. But we just never think of Christian hell as ever being cold. Um, so, what you've got there with Kali is, uh, well, first of all, it is interesting that we have this goddess of war and destruction, and it is a goddess. It's a woman, not a male. And there does seem to have been sort of sacrifice to her in the past. Uh, you know, there were a number of Hindu um, cultural ceremonies that did have um, either animal or in some cases human um, uh, sacrifice going on. You know, the most famous one, and you know, this is this is to shows you the great example of, you know, you can talk about how bad empires are and whether or not an empire should ever has the right to to rule another country. You know, I think we can all say that's wrong, but that's not the same thing as everything an empire does is wrong, because uh, up until British Imperial India occasionally this didn't happen every week and it was very much a high status thing you would have the practice of sati and that's when you know quite often a, a hindu lord or nobleman or sometimes you know, king or prince when he died and was put on the funeral pyre because that is the traditional way to uh, get rid of uh, human remains uh his living wife was thrown onto the funeral part. Now, it was considered a great honor. The women quite often weren't drag kicking and screaming. They were sort of seen as, as almost prophets or a link between, you know, uh, the, the, go the gods and the divine and planet Earth as they were sort of walking up to the funeral pyre. And it was sort of seen as etiquette to be going nobly. Like, you know, like you don't want to be crying and screaming if you're going to go up to the gallows kind of thing. 
Charles II because he was uh, executed. Sorry, Charles I because he was executed in January. He asked for two shirts because he didn't want think to, he didn't want to shiver and people think that it was nerves. I always like that little attention to detail. Um, however, the British said that this was uh, disgusting and they should stop sacrificing women, and so they outlawed sutty. Now you might want to push back and say, "Hey, a country's culture is a country's culture," but executing people is generally not a good thing either. Most people who are sort of pro-local customs are also anti the death penalty, particularly when you've done nothing wrong. Uh, so um, yeah, you can work that one out in your head. But the other one uh, linked to Carly, and this is far more contra controversial, is the idea of the thuggies. Now, British Imperial, and they're even mentioned in things like uh, 80 Days Around the World, British Imperial India tended to link the Thuggies specifically to Kali and say that they were kind of uh, a, almost like a death cult, uh, uh, roving bands of Thuggies, which is where we get the word thug from, by the way, um, would go around, rob people, beat people up, sometimes kill people on highways. But there's an awful lot of Hindu Indians going, no, they're just called bandits, uh, you know, and they're not linked to any kind of religion. Now, you could say that the British were pig ignorant and didn't necessarily know what they're talking about, but you could also say that the Indians sometimes might want to be, you know, portraying some of the lesser known parts of their religions in a better light, and this is an easy one to sweep under the carpet. There is actually evidence on both sides, but whether or not you're going to say that the evidence is biased, well, what can I say? But the idea that, you know, a bandit in India was probably Hindu anyway, so they would have been, you know, associated with Hindu gods regardless, but they might not have actually been smacking somebody over the head for Kali. Maybe they just wanted their purse of silver. So you to, to have Kali kind of as half forgotten as Odin is a little unfair. You could argue is even potentially culturally insensitive, except when you see her in, in her pure form in episode one, season two, by the way. It is interesting that you just sort of you, when you see some of these these gods in the way that they were wanted to be portrayed, uh, they are sometimes more interesting than the iconography that, of, of you know, current existing deities. And this is sort of leading me up to my, my last point uh, about this and the idea of a pantheon of gods and how this has been a big deal in history. But just before I do that, it is worth pointing out. Come on, guys, you can always help me. Uh, you can, uh, first of all, click to subscribe on whatever app you're listening to this on. Thank you very much. Please do subscribe and download. And I'm Jem Daduchu on Twitter, so you, know, you can reach me out there if you want to. And then patreon.com forward slash neon podcast. That's a great way to, uh, you know, if you really, really want to support us for as little as a dollar a month, that'd be great. And there does seem to be some neon merch uh, on the way as well. I've uh, had a look at the potential neon t-shirt, which looks awesome. So you might even want to be super cool and declare your love for neon somewhere in the world, wherever you're listening to this. Back to the idea of polytheism. In the modern world, that's kind of weird, particularly if you live in Europe. You're either an atheist or you tend to be a believer of a one God, you know, be it Islam, Christianity or Judaism. You could actually also put in Zoroastrianism there. There's a couple of million of those in the world. But then you've got the Hindus, which have a pantheon of gods. So they've got more in common with the Greek gods, Egyptian gods, uh, the Norse gods, etc. And it's, I find it fascinating. Now, I'm not saying 
don't don't get me wrong. I'm certainly not whitewashing uh, Indian history here. Okay, India has its had its fair share of violent uh, disagreements between religious groups many times. Okay, Muslims have been massacred by Hindus, or they've massacred Hindus. Hindus have massacred Sikhs. Sikhs have massacred. It just it goes round and round. Okay, but I'll never forget. A guy I used to work with, he was sort of in our Indian office, and I was in the London office, and we, we uh, met up, and we, we just had a great time traveling around India together. Um, and some of the things he said just really just opened up my eyes to how universal humanity truly is. But one of the things that wasn't truly universal is in his lifetime, he had been Muslim, Christian, and Hindu. He had given all three faiths a go, because... If you already believe in multiple gods, then flipping from Hinduism to Christianity, that's just another god in the list. And then if that doesn't feel right, well, I can flip back again, can't I? Now, I'm not saying that all uh, Indians feel this way. Far from it, as I pointed out, there have been some very serious violence around this as well. But India actually has more of a melting pot feel to it than sometimes you'd think just reading the news. I, I know a number of Indians who say, you know, I'm a Hindu, but, you know, it's part of our culture to, to sort of commemorate Sikh festivals too and, and vice versa. And there's the Jains, which almost nobody talks about. And, you know, Buddhism came from India as well. So, you know, there are all these major religions sitting there in India. And by and large, there yes, there are flashpoints, but by and large, they actually interact with each other quite well. And the idea of religious war or heresy or apostasy, uh, these come very much later on in world history, particularly once we get to monotheism, where it's my way or no way. That was just not really a thing in ancient Egypt. Oh, you don't believe in Horus? But you probably believe in Thoth then or something else, you know, that people moved around different deities. It was OK to like three of them at the same time. That was fine. They're all part of the same story. But the first sort of fly in the ointment uh, for, for Roman civilization, um, apologies if that sounds insensitive, is when we get Judaism. Because the Jews were the, the first uh, large group to have um, uh, monotheism. They weren't the first. That was the Zoroastrians, and they were further east in, in what was called Persia. Um, it is worth pointing out that when Xerxes, you know, the 300 stuff, they were Zoroastrian. They weren't Muslim. That would be impossible. That Islam wasn't going to come for another nearly thousand years. Um, but, yeah, so... The thing is, the reason why the Romans, the Romans were the first anti-Semites. Um, but the reason for that was that they found it incredibly hard to try and fit the Jews into their society. You know, when the Romans turned up in England, it wasn't exactly peace and love, but they could recognize, oh, you know, you got a god of war, but you call it X, well, we call it Mars, uh, you know, and, you know, the Greeks call it Ares. Uh, so, you know, it was just a case, oh, OK, that's just your local flavor of the one god to do with fortune or love or whatever. But you can't do that as soon as you've got a monotheistic faith. And to give you an idea, so, so that, you know, it was the, the Romans accidentally burnt down the temple of, of the one true God uh, in, in Jerusalem. That was during the siege in the first century AD uh, after Jesus died, for the record. Um, and they were so busy besieging the, the, the city that when they sort of like threw flames into the city, they weren't aiming for the temple. And all the Jews were so distracted by the siege that by the time they realized the temple was on fire, it was too late to save uh, a, col a colossal catastrophe and tragedy there. Um, but 
Later on, under Hadrian, Hadrian we all recognise with walls, and he's actually seen as quite a philosophical emperor, but uh, he um, absolutely hammered the Jews again and again. Um, and uh, there are references to Hadrian, and to this day, is in any kind of Jewish writing, uh, may his bones rot, I think is the phrase that always goes with Hadrian, because the man killed Jews, okay? Um, you know, there's an era. It is worth pointing out when you look at Jerusalem and go, oh, wow, look at all these ancient cities. Uh-uh. The Romans had so much trouble with the Jews, they ended up raising it to the ground. And then they rebuilt it as a Roman city called Aelia Capitolana. And so almost everything above ground is actually post-Roman. I mean, yes, there's the one wall, the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall of, of the temple, but almost everything else really isn't uh, Roman or contemporary to Jesus, particularly the walls around it all, where you sit there and go, oh, you know, those must be ancient. Those were actually put in by Suleiman the Magnificent. They're only about 500 years old. They say only, but, you know, anyway. The Romans, they persecuted the Jews, and then with the rise of Christianity, they persecuted the Christians as well because they didn't fit into this polytheistic religion and faith. And, you know, as I've mentioned in the past, where you've got situations where in, when the collapse of Roman Britain you also seem to have the collapse of Roman Christianity in Britain too. And Gregory, Pope Gregory the Great had to send out missionaries to England to sort of reinstitute Christianity, although there were a few churches already there. And it does show you that it's highly unlikely that people just forgot to be Christian. It probably shows you that when we talk about the Roman Empire becoming Christian, maybe the upper echelons were Christian. But the lower echelons were likely to be, at best, a mishmash of, I'm Christian, but I still really like the old Celtic gods. You know, I'll, I'll go to church on Sundays, but I'll still pray for luck for my harvest to this old Celtic god. And and in these gods who were genuinely prayed to, these, these who had temples built to them, have evolved into folklore, which has been preserved around the world as these half-remembered stories. And, as I pointed out, have now become sort of inherent in something like American gods. So if what I've said sounds interesting and intriguing, I'd absolutely recommend you give American Gods a go. Yes, it's on Amazon Prime. I'm pretty sure you can probably buy the first series on DVD now. It is visually stunning. It just always looks amazing. Great acting, some very weird humor in it. As I said, it is very, very adult. If you just want to go on this highly unusual journey and learn a little bit of history and folklore and religious history uh, as you go along, then why not? Why not be? Why not just drop into into a little bit of a conversation, going, "I curse you as Chernobog," and see what the other person splutter out their drink or something. Go what? When the Chernobog is coming for you. It's also a great word to say. I encourage you to try and fit in Chernobog as often as possible into everyday conversation. I will leave you with that. More podcasting goodness soon. Please, as I already said, do talk to us. It, you know, the, the fun doesn't stop when this podcast stops. As I said on Twitter, Neon Podcast, on Facebook, Neon Podcast, neonpodcast.com, patreon.com uh, forward slash Neon Podcast, and Jim Deducci. As always, thank you very much for listening. More Neon goodness coming your way soon.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.